Carpenter's been nominated for an Oscar for his music. No, I totally did. I wonder. I have no idea. Oh, dude. It's the one with Ice Cube in it. Damn. People start see. going crazy and putting metal in their faces. It's called earrings, Brylan. It's called <laughs> earrings. <laughs> Nose rings. Some of the crazy kids are... Crazy what are all those crazy kids putting metal in their faces? <laughs> it's called a bray. Call them a septum, bruh. <laughs> and welcome to the Data Friend Podcast. How's it going, guys? <laughs> What's up? What's up? Dude, I'm looking at pictures. We are. And this is the most ridiculous movie. Like, what is going on here? <laughs> it makes no damn sense. You know, it does make sense. Is this movie that we're going to review tonight? Is one of Edgar's Wright latest films from his complete wacky mind? We shall be chatting about Baby Driver. Super excited, starring Kevin Spacey, Jamie Fox, and uh, Donald Draper. Huh? Ansel Adams. Ansel Adams. Ansel Adams yes. yes. <laughs> Don Draper. And Ansel Elridge. Yeah, I, 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 still, I'm never going to get his name right. Yeah. Never going to get his name right. Yeah. Uh, but I'm excited. My name is Warren. I will be your host for this evening. I'm over here with Brylin. How's it going, man? Good. How's it going today? Just hanging out, you know, just chilling. Nothing too crazy. What uh, what you sipping on? Uh, I went down to the old alcohol market and uh, I bought me a sixer of Boston, uh, Sam, no, not Boston Adams, Sam Adams. Porch Rocker uh, Summer Ale with lemon. It's kind of like a shandy, but tastes good, so I like it. Porch Rocker's real solid. Yep. I prefer I could I drink this on a nice hot sunny day. I can crush about 16, 27 shandies and be just fine. So I'll, I'll stick with my shandies. All right. Yeah. What you been watching? Uh, so recently, I watched the uh, I binged the entire series of Glow, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling on Netflix. Uh, stars Alison Brie, who is a gorgeous lady unto herself. Oh, love her. But also, she's a terrific actress in this movie. And they have a great cast that also includes Mark Maron, who never really been a big fan of his, but he really impressed me with his character as the director of the Glow show that they're trying to put on. And it's a really nice period piece of just this really underground, the, it was a very like, kind of like late night show that was really crazy and got away with a lot of things you wouldn't expect shows to get away with these days. And just the turmoil and the hilarity that ensued while they were making, while they were getting this show off the ground. So I definitely recommend it. It reminded me a lot of in structure about uh, like Atlanta how it's just 10 episodes, 30 minutes long, and they pack a lot of nice character development and storytelling in all those 30 minutes. 
Nice. Cool. Well, that sounds awesome. I know that basically has been tearing up everywhere on like Facebook and <coughs> everybody necessarily watching this and kind of raving about it as well. Um, there's a bunch of different directors that's going to be on here with Jesse Peretz, Phil Abraham, Kate Dennis, Cian Heater, Melanie Mayron, and a bunch of other people that I actually don't know half those people are, but sounds pretty interesting. Sounds pretty cool. Um, yeah, absolutely. And just really quickly, just to speak of uh, great TV shows, the Emmy nominations got announced today. Yes. Uh, they did one neat thing this year instead of five shows. Per category being, uh, for the main categories being nominated, they actually extend it to seven. So there's a lot more uh, competition this year. And I'm just going to read off really quickly the outstanding comedy series and outstanding drama series list. That makes, I was going to say, that makes complete sense that like some of those shows had like 17 nominations, which I didn't think, I didn't even think there was that many categories. So like that makes sense. They expanded it out to, uh, Seven seven movies or TV shows, excuse me. Absolutely, and one pattern I've seen in the Emmys is a lot recently is it's not just the critics' darlings that are getting nominated, but also like shows that actually have strong fan bases hmm. that are getting nominated as well. So the outstanding comedy series are Atlanta, Blackish, Master of None, Modern Family, Silicon Valley, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and Veep. I think they're all good, solid choices. I mean, Atlanta being a comedy... It, it's, it's definitely tough, because, yeah. I mean, there's definitely funny moments, but is it really a comedy? Yeah. Is the thing. You know, I think it's more... It's, honestly, it's closer to a, a drama, but there's definitely kind of... There's going to be comedic elements of it. Um, weird. Okay. I mean, it's not, like, the worst thing in the world, but I just, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear, like, what the, like the dramatic ones are very dramatic, I'm assuming, and so because it wasn't that far, they had to go ahead and push over there, so I can see that. Yeah, and uh, for the Outstanding Drama Series, there's Better Call Saul, The Crown, The Handmaid's Tale, hmm. House of Cards, Stranger Things, This Is Us, and oh, Westworld. Damn, This Is Us? This is us in Westworld led with the most nominations this year. Ooh, wait, well, Game of Thrones didn't even come up there? So here's a little technicality. So Game of Thrones hasn't aired this year yet, right? Yeah. It doesn't get nominated for this year. Huh. <sighs> Interesting. Wow. But what about I last, guess that's but not that makes year? sense. They usually have like one episode they ship out to all those award shows. Uh, it works a little different in the Emmys. I think like the whole season has to have aired in the in the uh, season that they're nominated. So since Game of Thrones is starting late this year, they won't be nominated until next year. Hmm. Okay. I mean, yeah. looking at that uh, like the drama list, what do you think? Some things that stand out. What do you think is going to just take home all the prizes, Brevin? Uh, from this list, I mean. I think it's good to see like those ones with big fan bases like Stranger Things and This Is Us. Um, but I'm going to say probably The Crown is going to win Best Drama Series. Yeah. Um, that was that. such a huge undertaking. It was a fantastic series that I watched. Um, not really for everybody, but I think that's what's going to talk to the voters. Yeah. What do you think, Mike? What do you think is going to be uh, taking home a lot of the awards? Uh, I mean, just based on pure volume, you got to say Veep. I think they had 17 nominations. So even if you go at a 30% win rate, they're still going to get, what is that, like six wins? 
Um, so, I mean, that's got to be a big favorite going into it. I hope This Is Us. I've talked about This Is Us in, like, six different podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, you know, I literally have, like, an old wives' tale uh, collection at work where it's just, like, me and a bunch of 30- to 40-year-old women just sitting around talking about, like, crying and drinking red wine every Wednesday morning <laughs> about our Tuesday nights. It's, it's, it's bad, but I love it. <laughs> So I'm hoping, I'm hoping to win some. Oh, I mean, yeah. anything else? Kind of makes me want to check it out too. Yeah, I definitely yeah. have been trying to. Uh, just uh, we say this all the time. There's just so much content. There's so much stuff out yeah. of it. So I was like, oh, if this doesn't like capture me completely, I'm, uh, I'm still even trying to catch back up on like the Sherlock stuff. Um, now that's on Netflix, so. So basically what you're saying is everyone donate to our Patreon so we can quit our day jobs. Yes. Yes. And watch content all day. Yes. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Lauren, one nomination of note I want you to actually know about is nominated for Best Musical Composition is A Series of Unfortunate Events. Are you serious? I think it might. Yes. Why? I'm very serious. Why? Why? <laughs> Wait, hold on. What? I just got a catchy opening song for each episode. What the... Uh, yeah, what Neil Patrick Harris has two, like, full musical numbers, which I remember we hated on in that review. Some of us did. But they, they were good <laughs> standalone songs. <laughs> they just were terrible but, in, the, but, in the actual okay. show. What else got nominated? Do you have that in front of you? Of What else was nominated for the uh, musical? Uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. This is a long list. So, let us take a moment. That's okay. Uh, I know I'm going to have you look that up. Uh, I'm going to switch over to see uh, what Mike is doing, uh, what he's been up to, and then I'm going to get back to you, Brylan. Uh, Mike, what you sipping on? Oh, I found it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, Outstanding Music Composition for a Series. House of Cards done by Jeff Beal, Planet Earth 2, done by Jacob Shea and Joshua Klebe, A Series of Unfortunate Events by James Newton Howard, Taboo by Mac Richter, and Victoria by Martin Phillips, Ruth Barrett, and Natalie Holt. He's in Max Richter? Or Matt Richter? Max Richter. I love him. I absolutely love him. I absolutely love him as a composer. Um, I'm surprised you have, you've heard of that name, Blew It. Max Richter, the German. Yeah, why do I know that? Yeah, he's he has some good stuff that's going to be out there. I listen to his stuff a lot uh, at work. Yeah, Cool. I hope he wins, and I hope Series of Fortune Event doesn't win. I really hope that <laughs> I, I hope that series is kind of crashes and burns. Or it gets yeah, better. It's coming back. Who knows? I know it's coming back, but who knows? <laughs> who knows? Mike, how's it going, man? Hey, not too bad. Um, so, standard couple questions: the what we've been watching, what we've been drinking. Uh, <laughs> ooh, train. Um, I, I'm really not drinking anything tonight. I went out and played trivia, and so had a couple beers and the traditional couple flights beforehand just to get warmed up. So I'm, I'm not even drinking water right now. I just can't do liquid uh, at this time. Um, you drink jelly. But I heard jar jelly helps. Jar jelly? <laughs> no, I, I got to – I 
You know, on this stage, I'm craving something on the other end of the viscous scale, uh, and I'm looking for at least peanut butter, if not more solid. Um, You're going to hear some crunching later on, just me killing some cookies. Uh, So I watched two movies. The, The first one, you should skip. The second one... You should see. Uh, so the first movie I watched was this film called Skip Trace, which is a Jackie Chan, uh, Johnny Knoxville character. And it basically just goes into the trope Jackie Chan has been doing since Rush Hour, where he pairs himself himself with like a white guy and like somehow calls it an action comedy. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't work like at all. Um, it's just such a tired beaten formula, especially out of Jackie Chan. There's literally nothing original. I remember tuning out like this is always a bad sign when you just like start playing around on your phone. And I remember tuning in at like the, you know, hour, hour and 20 mark. And I heard like, uh, an East Asian instrument playing like this, just pedaling this dun 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 and uh I heard Jackie Chan's voice goes, There's a fire starting in the day. And I was just like, wait, what? And I tune in and apparently Jackie Chan and Johnny Knoxville found themselves captured by a bunch of Mongolian horse lords. And they were having a traditional Mongolian festival that apparently the Mongolians accidentally started playing Adele's Rolling in the Deep and Jackie Chan knew all the lyrics to and they did a whole song and dance number. And this wasn't like the chorus in the first verse. It was the entire song they did with Mongolian oh, instruments. Oh no. But but strictly Western vocals. It was like it was bizarre. It, it, it went on for like three or four minutes too. And I remember seeing that, I'm like, oh my god. God, they really jumped the shark on this one. Which the worst part is that they just debuted the trailer for a movie called Foreigner, which looks like Jackie Chan's introduction as like an old man of action. Not like he he like is playing a dad role like Liam Neeson. It looks like Asian Taken, if I'm being honest. <laughs> and so you know, it's like Jackie Chan admitting he is like old. And, like, my God, he needed to do something because Skip Trace looked terrible. Or, look, it was terrible. The second movie I saw was a movie called Creep, um, which actually, honestly, I'll tie it kind of into the winds of our feature. So I don't want to give too much away, but it's this uh, really dark comedy by one of the guys from The League. Apparently, and it's only two people with a third person only providing vocal support for like one scene where you hear someone over a phone. It's literally just two people talking to a camera. It's like a handheld camera, not even a professional setup, but it's really good. It's really self-contained, really quirky, really bizarre, had a couple good like scares, and most of the time you were kind of really on your edge of the seat. Hmm. Um, definitely recommend it. Nice. Um, so I know that that's Skip Trace that we were kind of talking about. I did look up just so that we can... Um make it a little bit more clear, you have actually two different creeps, uh, or name of the movies, one from 2004, one from 2014. Um, so which one are you talking about? Because both of them seems to be a, maybe a, a horror portion of it? 
Yeah, it's definitely the 2014 one. It stars Mark Duplass. Okay. He's the guy from the league. So that's is the, that's uh, going to be Creep, directed by Patrick Bryce. Yeah, and Patrick Bryce is the other guy in the film. Sure it's literally them two. They shot it over like I don't know a week long period. Yeah, Mark Duplass has always done like those very like low low budget indie films. That's kind of like how he started before he got into the league and other things like that. Cool. Yeah, he has like kind of a weird career trajectory where like the league is totally an outlier. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, as always, thank you for uh, hanging out with us tonight as we're going to be discussing some a couple different things. Um, I am currently sipping on the last of the Man Cans uh, red wine, and I've actually slightly chilled it. It's very nice chill. It's very delight. It's so delightful. Chill. Very smooth, very easy to do. An easy table wine, uh, which means you, you can drink a bunch of it and you still feel fine. It's a great conversation starter, I would say, of drinking wine out of a can. So, hashtag sip of that. Um, I also have been watching, I've been actually finally have a chance to watch a bunch of stuff now that works a little bit less crazy and uh, school is just as crazy, but uh, um, I watched Despicable Me 3 in theaters and that movie, so I mean, right off the bat, I don't like Steve Carell um, as an actor when he does comedic roles, but I really like him when he does like sim- a serious or semi-serious roles. So already it was not looking good for me, uh, even as voiceover roles. Uh, so I completely forgot that I did not see Despicable Me 2, but I did see Minions, so I thought that it wouldn't really matter because maybe somehow there's something in there, but it doesn't really give anything a part of the movie away. There were just some things that was lost that in the first like maybe a few minutes that it gets really tied up really easily and then kind of go on from there. Um, it was very fun, though. I mean, there was definitely some fun p- points of, uh, you know, Trey Parker plays the voice in this movie, and his entire character was probably the only funny part of the movie to me. Uh, he was in there a lot, so that was really fun. And he even had a couple cameos from, if you know, Trey Parker created, uh, co-created, you know, South Park. So he actually did a couple of cameos, or at least one cameo for that voice. So I thought that was very fun. Uh, but other than that... I'm sure that movie's going to make a lot of money, <laughs> sort of thing, but I was even confused yeah. of why they even kind of made it, sort of thing. Like, I can definitely see why they they can... I, I guess my confusion is you, they should have came up with that movie second. Uh, so that, then why even make Despicable Me 2? You should have did that, because now it seems like they're going to make a couple other ones also, just by the way the story was actually going, so... Yeah, did you see the other Despicable Me's before this? I saw number one. Uh, I remember it was really difficult to get through number one, um, just because I didn't like Groot's voice. Groot. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Groot. Yeah. Groot doesn't sound right. Um, yeah. So I didn't like Groot's. I am Groot. I am Groot. And so I was like, oh, whatever. Uh, I didn't see the second one because I didn't think there was anything. And I went to this next one kind of blind. Um, so, yeah. And that's why. So, I mean, that's what I've been watching. I've been watching a bunch of other stuff. I'm finally getting caught up on Sherlock. I think that show is pretty good. Like the first episode of the fourth season, I think. Maybe the third season. Um, it was kind of weird, but then I think it also started to catch their own. It's very, very interesting, very fun. Um, I definitely like watching that stuff uh, as a part of all the other anime stuff that I've been watching. So, yeah. So that's what we've been watching. So uh, we would say for right now, we are going to talk about 
an awesome movie. I think right now I've been talking to literally everybody at work, um, a bunch of my friends in like uh, who travel a bunch, like in Florida, New York, all over the place as well. And I think two of the things that they've been necessarily talking about is, hey, have you seen this movie? And it's either, hey, have you? And one of those two movies are, hey, hey, have you seen Baby Driver? And I'm like, of no. course, I've seen Baby Driver. So newest movie directed uh, directed by Edgar Wright. I'm really pumped to talk about a bit of like Edgar Wright's other works. I know Bryling, you probably know them best. And then we're gonna do a bit of a spoiler disclaimer because we will be going straight into wins. So. Let's talk a little bit about Edgar Wright because I know that he's been on a bit of a shaky plane with a lot of people, uh, just from some of his previous works. So, Rylan? Uh, yeah, so Edgar Wright, I mean, he's definitely a director with a unique sensibility about him, the way he shoots films, as well as like how he blends music into his films. Um, he's been very hit and miss for me, so um, I love movies like Hot Fuzz and Scott Pilgrim. I didn't really care about The End of the World. And I wasn't too hot on uh, Shaun of the Dead. I mean, a solid movie, but everybody around me was like saying, you got to see this, you got to see this. And maybe their hype kind of like let it down for me that I was expecting a lot more from that movie than what I got. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely fair. I would say even after that entire list that you talked about, first of all, loving some Simon Pegg. I mean, that guy... I literally can, cannot do any wrong. Um, but I absolutely love The Shot of the Dead because I, I just love anything to do with, like, that... Like, spoiler alert for Shot of the Dead. It's about zombies. Uh, him and his best friend trying to save his girlfriend and his mom. And, that like, I guess that adventure just goes topsy-turvy. And the people that are in that uh, movie just makes it so much fun. And it makes it interesting. And it's definitely kind of a newer twist to it. Um, and I did also that was one of the first times I've ever seen like a parody zombie movie. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen any other one because I think the only good zombie movie I can remember at that time um, was. It's uh, so like Twenty Eight Days Later. Uh, well, yeah, no, I guess it was a couple. So Twenty Eight Days Later, but what what was the one within the mall? It was really good. Oh, Dawn of the Dead yeah, remake. Yeah, by so. Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder, yeah. So. Um, I really, I really, really was actually digging that movie. But, uh, Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think that, um, was it, uh, Hot Fuzz. So, like, Shaun of the Dead was really good. Um, but I remember seeing that afterwards, like, after it came out. And I remember I watched Hot Fuzz in the theaters. And, like, that is one of my, if not the go-to Saturday afternoon Comedy Central movie. Yeah. Like, I will never not watch that. If I see it on, and I'm like, oh, I have like 20 minutes I have to kill. It's like, yep, might as well just go watch 20 minutes of Hot Fuzz and then move on with yeah. my life. Sure. So that's that's like my, my you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't think I ever saw Scott Pilgrim oh. in, in entirety. Uh, I've seen most of it on TV. I own it. Uh, yeah, I... I you know, I'm I'm a little bit hit or miss with Edgar Wright on like his seeing all of this stuff, um, but that might be a Mike thing rather than like a director thing because everything I've watched, I've really enjoyed. Okay. Yeah, I would say Scott Pilgrim by far. I think we talked about this section in the first episode of the Down and Firm podcast over two years ago. Um, Scott Pilgrim was actually one of my top like five or top three actually favorite movies of all time at that time. 
Um, and uh, I just had so I guess it was like the two things, and I think we're also going to bring it up into this movie. So I'm glad it'll be a nice segue. Is the two things that really stood out with me is just the overall sort of characters and how he necessarily built those characters. Even though it was coming from a graphic novel, he still set certain characters up that made him very very interesting. Uh, but then we also like the soundtrack and the music of Scott Pilgrim still kind of still resonates with me of you know there's a song called Threshold and there's a song called um uh Dying uh Dying of a, Se- a 17 Teenage something something, something something there's like two songs in there uh but there's a but it's like the, the music in that actual sort of um movie itself really really evokes a particular kind of uh, feeling to it and that's why I was automatically drawn to it and I've always listened to that soundtrack much like I'm doing Baby Driver currently so yeah um, yeah, a lot of good early 2000 um, alternative Canadian bands in there, and yeah. all the original, uh, the uh, what are they called, the Bombs? Yeah, Sex Bombs. Sex Bombs. Yeah. All their songs are done by Beck, so you got a really good pedigree of yeah. uh, artists working on those songs. Yeah, it's, I mean, this is fun. It's definitely a fun script. But uh, I would say for right now, if you haven't seen Baby Drivers in theaters, I would say stop this podcast now because you will be ruined and we don't want to do that because this is a very very good movie so stop it right now hit pause go watch a movie it's pretty it's pretty early you can still get in at least watch the movie itself and come on back we'll give you a chance to take a sip of your beer and be right back for you for the entire review of baby driver So, we are talking about Baby Driver. I'm really excited to... Like, let's start talking about some wins. I'm actually going to start with Brylin here. Um, let's talk about some wins of things you like, some things you actually dug about Baby Driver. Uh, so, yeah. So, Baby Driver is definitely a movie I think is a, um, a great departure for Edgar Wright. And if you look at like his movies up till now... They've been very fantastical. They deal with these uh, either zombies or superhero powers, a lot of crazy visuals and everything. And Baby Driver kind of tones all that down and lets the and brings in all these like quirky characters, but never really goes into a very fantastical place. And I think it really uh, makes it for a stronger movie uh, because of that. Uh, one thing I really love about this movie is how it's shot on location in Atlanta and how they like actually uh, refer to realistic Atlanta landmarks while talking about like where are we going and where we're going to meet up and things like that. And if you know about the layout, like Atlanta's uh, streets, they're very curvy, they're very, they're very hilly and everything. And when they have the car chase scenes or the getaway scenes, uh, it's really good to see like the geographical environment really plays into how they actually uh, how baby drives his cars around. Like 
There's one scene where he dodges out of the way of a out of a, a garbage truck, and like something that looks inhumanly possible, but it looks amazing when he does it too. Um, I would say other things I really liked uh, the characters. I like how quirky the characters are. Some for some reason the quirkiness of all these characters. I kind of think fits the uh, environment that the story's been told in as well. Uh, you've got a baby who's very quiet-spoken and uh, has a condition, tinnitus, where he has a constant ringing in his ears. So he wears uh, headphones and listens to music to, uh, music to uh, kind of ignore that ringing that's in his ears. But I like that it's not like a superpower or uh, some type of kryptonite form in the movie either. It's just a condition. So even if he doesn't have his headphones in, he's not like depowered or anything like that. He can still function as a normal human being, which is really cool. Yeah, I'm really glad that they didn't quite highlight it to make it seem like there's a particular movie in, 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 in not in response to this, but there's a movie called The Accountant in which they really kind of it was also an odd glorification of somebody having autism, um, and it's kind of that, that particular kind of showing from there, and it shows that this person's better because of this, uh, and I don't think this movie kind of went there, and I don't think this movie kind of talked about that, so I think it was a very smart move to um, have a bit more realistic approach to a condition. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for the standout actors... Um, I know some of y'all probably want to talk about some of the actors, but one of my favorite is John Hamm's uh, buddy. Like, uh, there's a whole, there's a lot of great actors that are playing criminals in this movie, but Buddy is really neat. You meet him, and he's like a, you meet him, he's a like a very casual, like kind of like a fun-loving guy at first. He's very charming. Um, it's definitely John Hamm turning on kind of like that Don Draper charm. Yeah. Uh, I think it's also like the first type of role where you see him get to like uh, play with the depth of a character that was as good as what he did in Mad Men, which is great to see. And he to see Buddy go from like this fun-loving guy that's actually kind of befriending Baby to the main uh, antagonist that is setting his sights on killing baby no matter what. He becomes definitely a, a demon at the very end of it, and it's a really good turn for his character as well. Yeah, I mean, I, really, I, I think it was... I don't think you can even kind of set, uh, sum it up as perfectly as that, because I was... Lo- I mean, first of all, I love John Hamm. I don't think he can do... Yeah. He can do... He's, called, he's almost Tom Hanks worthy of... You can do no wrong, my friend. <laughs> Uh, but uh, it, was, it, was, it was a lot of fun just to see him and then also kind of transition. You can see his entire sort of roller coaster of a character um, arc in this movie, and it was a lot of fun. It's funny because usually movies that the antagonist is revealed in the last, like, I don't know, 45 minutes, usually those are terrible movies. Like, usually speaking, you have to establish who's the good guy and who's the bad guy so that you can establish plot and then you can establish, like, central conflict in it. Um, and what was the, the Transformers? You had no idea what was going on, who was good, who was bad, and for most of the movie. And so it didn't make any sense. And so for the fact that they were able to put together something where it allowed John Hamm to be that 
that big of a range where he was the guy that helped him out in the beginning. He was like his best friend. It's like, okay, cool. You, it's John Bernthal is the bad guy. Okay, cool. It's probably going to be Spacey because he's like the evil boss. Okay, cool. It's probably going to be Jamie Foxx. What? It's John Hamm's character who's like the central antagonist this whole time. Like it, that's a, a really a credit to the writing on how well it flowed. Yeah. Um, that, that didn't pull you out of the movie. Yeah, I mean, I really like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and uh, one other actor I thought was, like, should get a very big shout-out is C.J. Jones, who played uh, Baby's uh, foster dad, Joseph. Um, I thought it was just great to see someone that uh, has hear- has a hearing need actually embody a role where sign language is needed and uh, is able to, and just to showcase that, Acting in sign language can be just as dramatic and just as um, heartfelt as someone speaking to you with their voice as well. And his relationship with Baby, you get all the nuances between him and Baby when they like are listening to uh, that B-A-B-Y Baby song uh, with one another in the apartment. He's dancing around. He puts his hand on the uh, speaker to feel it out. And he's like, oh, this is about love. You're in love with a girl right now. So yeah. he's like, yeah, let's talk about this girl. It's yeah. it's just really great touching moments. It's really good to see them uh, give someone the opportunity to showcase that talent as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely going to – I'll segue out there. I'll talk about wins after this because the biggest thing that I did like about this it was the characters. But then kind of even going a little bit uh, more in depth of the – you know, a lot of the writing and a lot of the dialogue had to do the importance of, like, Baby's mom and, like, that figure and what that necessarily means and how important that was to him. And we see that all throughout the actual movie, and this is what's actually physically said. Whereas then, what's we actually shown is that a bunch of these weird, very deranged sort of father figures that just pops up all out of nowhere. Of You know, you have a loving one and Joseph, and you have a really strange and... One uh, in the Kevin Spacey's character, crap, I don't know his name, uh, but Kevin Spacey's character also was definitely manipulating, kind of using Baby to his advantage. Then you have Buddy, who was also just kind of nice, but he ended up turning. And then you had Bat's character, who was very, very dangerous, but he was also like very much up front. And he knew that he, he really didn't give a shit. He's going to do what he wanted to do. So you have a lot of these weird sort of father figures because at one point I think they were all mentioning, kind of talking about you have like some, some sort of growing up or some sort of line about that um, and like not trusting him he's too young or he's, um, he's, he's a baby, right? So, yeah, uh, Kevin Spacey's character who I think is uh, named Doc. Doc, right. Um, yeah, he seems like all business and you don't really think he has that type of uh, emotional connection to baby until the end Yeah, when you see it. And Bats is just, like, in-your-face crazy. And, like, at first glance, you're like, oh, this guy's nuts and crazy and a loose cannon. But when he starts to read people and everything, you start to see, like, oh, he actually thinks everything out before he even does something. And it just happens to end up that someone has to die for his plan to work out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it was a lot of fun just seeing these different characters all in the same, not only in the same room, because you had three, Doc, Buddy, and Bats were all there. And I think their dialogue together was very strong. But even, like, the dialogue, or lack thereof, right, dialogue between Joseph and Baby to the fact that it was almost like a comic strip of how 
um, whoever, maybe it was Edgar Wright or somebody else, kind of positioned the, su- the, the subtitles over Joseph, who's actually signing with Baby about, you know, he even made a joke saying that I'm not blind. Clearly, I can tell that something's wrong and you need to stop whatever you're doing. You need to stop this job. And um, just how that was kind of important, how that was kind of an effective way of just storytelling. So I thought that was definitely a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah. I, I think that was like one, definitely one of my uh, biggest wins to necessarily kind of contribute besides like the sound design. I know Mike's going to talk about it way more, way better than I even can. Um, there's just something about watching this movie to say man I really want to watch this movie again but just kind of listen to it just to see like how this is how it's affecting me just just because of either the music or the pieces of music that was even in the actual movie itself and then the music itself and just how they how they necessarily kind of do things with it. it was very new and it was very fun just to experience this entire piece of it felt like it was an entire thing normally for a movie you watch it and there's a, there's a couple other sounds and like songs that seem to have like that uh different approach but now i felt like it delved deeper into the particular senses and i thought that was very um very very fun um, and then uh i mean the, the the other biggest thing is just like you know the simplicity of this actual movie um I just love the fact that, you know, you have a, uh, a simple concept or a simple character. There's something that's very basic that you can necessarily understand, and it grows as a human, as a person, as a baby. <laughs> it grows into being more complex, and you start learning more and more information of it. And um, even to the point where they, there's this a line in the movie that they mention, you know, why, is he, why does he come back? He doesn't say anything. He doesn't talk to anybody, right? Why does he keep coming back to the diner and... Um, through dialogue, you find out that his mom was a waitress, and his mom used to be his, his mom used to be a singer, and he has his collection of all these like kind of weird, kind of funky tapes that he talks like he uh, he he shows us, um, and his love for the music of it. And it's just something that's very nice about just showing us these transitions and just showing us what what made sense from scene to scene to scene. So I thought that was very effective. Yeah. Mike, what you got? Yeah, I got a couple things. So, uh, as you said, uh, well, I get to the last. Um, so, I thought this was a very fast-paced movie, um, but it worked. It was like, um, depending on how this gets released with Spider-Man, like I, I feel like we had a lot of the same things. Whereas, like one scene, next scene, next scene, next scene, and you're never lost. But there was also not a lot of moments where it was like quite reflective time which i think for a movie that was based on fast driving it really fit the central theme of of the film where you're just constantly running from the next scene to the next um i thought that like overall so i think there's a couple ways that you can make a movie you can make it like a character piece you can make it a story piece you can be like michael bay and make it literally only effects based um or 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 almost this, where it's like a hybrid. Like, uh, I don't want to say it was a gimmick, but the music was a gimmick, you know, and that was clearly what this movie was based around. I, I thought that it did a good enough job, well, it did a great job of, of having um, enough character to basically pull it out of a fairly straightforward plot. Mm-hmm. Like, there wasn't anything too crazy. There wasn't really, truthfully, there wasn't any big reveals. Like, even the twist with the like John Hamm's character becoming the villain at the end made complete sense because the entire movie you were seeing that he was in love with his wife and then she died because 
basically because of Baby, and it makes sense that he would go after Baby. So, the, again, the plot wasn't the central point, but they did enough elsewhere that it wasn't a detriment, which I thought, right. again, considering a lot of the movies we've seen the last couple of months, that was impressive. Um, I thought that the stunts were cool and fresh enough. Like, I don't think they were very, like, they were wild. Um to that point, though, and this is this is a little bit of like you have to kind of know how the movie was made. They did all of the stunts practical on location with no CGI. Nice. So I think that the stunts looked adequate. They kind of looked like what they were doing in 2009. Um, that being said, all the 2009 stuff was done with like the best CGI of the day. And this had none of that. So what you're seeing is literally what they did. And that, from an artistic standpoint, and a mechanical, like you had to have drivers do all that crazy crap standpoint, was phenomenal. So I think that's going to get a loss on a lot of people because I think it looked adequate enough. And then in five years, is going to look subpar. But I think if you know that they didn't do any of it with CGI, it becomes that much more of a like an amazing technical undertaking. Um, So as for my biggest win, and I kind of alluded to this before, the music was completely tied to the plot. Um, To me, it was more than a gimmick, even though that's kind of how I referred to it before. Um, It was a couple things that really stood out, and I, I literally was taking note to them. As I was in the theater, because there's stuff that I will leave off. Uh, the first thing, and this blew my mind uh, later when they revealed it, is uh, they start off with this like kind of higher string section, and uh, they introduce this really high noise. And you know, for a score that at that point seemed like going for a natural, a naturalistic. This really high tone um, doesn't fit with the standard, uh, what's called like harmonic overtones or the harmonic series. However you want to, basically, it's it's you hear a, a lower note and then it's what causes a sound to sound like a sound. Like my voice has a lowest tone to it, and then my voice is individual to me because uh, my what's it, the larynx and then the nasal cavity and then my my uh, mouth cavity uh, are unique. And that's how that sound bounces around. Um, and so you get kind of like, you get to know some of these things. And so to hear something really stand out was really off-putting for me. And I was like, man, what is that? How do I, like, it's annoying. And then probably like 10 minutes later, they're like, yeah, baby has tinnitus. And it's like, yes, that's exactly what tinnitus like sounds for. Literally in the first scene, they were introducing the fact that he had tinnitus before you even saw a character. It was in the like the title cards, and that was that really to me speaks to the amount of foresight they had in this. Um, I think during that like the second scene in, they had the kind of the words on the street sign, which was cutesy. It wasn't like the like brand new, but I, you know, again, it was a. It was a different scene, a way of getting music injected on the, 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 the plot. I think one of the more 
like the biggest standouts is the the Mickey Mousing they did. So Mickey Mousing is this technique developed by the older Disney uh, music producers and composers. So back in the 30s, you'd get an animation, and then they would score to the the animation. And so whenever Mickey Mouse was sneaking around the castle, they would have these like really quick little hits to mimic his footsteps. Like we've all heard like the bum 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 you know, and like that, you could see him like sneaking around. And so when they they had this, they did it a lot, where like a character would put a saucer down, and then but that would line up to the backbeat of the song. And so to me, it was almost like they were editing to these pop songs, which you don't usually get the music rights towards until you're fairly later in the development. So that means they either shot an insane amount of footage to go to like four or five different songs or they knew what songs and they were confident they could get those songs going into the filming mm-hmm. and then shot them that way. Um, there's a couple of things. I mean, I, I thought feeling the bass and speakers is a, like a legit thing. Uh, as Bryland, I believe mentioned that's uh, b- popularly believed to, to be how Beethoven scored his ninth symphony, probably one of the most famous uh, classical pieces of music of all time was literally just him putting his hand on the ground, feeling the vibrations coming from his piano, and then writing down what he thought sounded good. Uh, in the end, music is is basically a series of frequencies, and uh, that becomes ratios. So if you can, and ratios when they vibrate the environment around him will, you know, it creates. Oh, I said that backwards. The different ratios will create different vibrations in the environment. And so you can feel an object and feel the vibrations and understand whether this sounds pleasing or whether this is dissonant. And so I really thought it was a nice homage to that kind of like mindset with uh, the you know Proctor father. Um, Couple more things, and then we'll we'll keep on going with this. Uh, I, I like that the uh, the rap song was overlaid. What he was playing in the headphones, really small thing, but it was kind of like a really cool. Again, going back to the Mickey Mouse thing, where like they tempo matched what was background music and kind of interdispersed that into what Baby was listening to. Uh, speaking of what Baby was listening to, I will never not podcastily upvote Hocus Pocus by Focus. It is like one of the greatest songs you will ever listen to. It's this like crazy pseudo instrumental thing. If you haven't seen it, I'm gonna have Warren link it in the show notes. Um, there's this great live video of them playing this song back in the 80s or 70s. And if you ever want to know what cocaine looks like, it is this video. Like they are, there's yodeling solos. This dude whips a flute out of nowhere and just like starts playing. It's literally nuts. And it's like one of my favorite YouTube videos. Um, let's see. Hang on one second. Uh, I thought, uh, so we were talking about this, uh, I think a little early in the pre-production ish notes. Um, I thought it was really cool seeing the main character baby make music in a really analog way. You know, there was, uh, yeah. he had a, like a very traditional setup that he went back to those cassettes um, which makes sense because that's how his mom would have been writing and recording music when she was alive. Mm-hmm. And so it, it really was a nice harken back to the past, which he could use to develop that more in the future. Um, and then yeah, one, he, he also had like a really cool instrument that looked like a, 
hardware version of Alchemy where he used the metal rod on it. And I was like, oh, is that really like a hardware synth that that's how they look like and stuff? Which one was that? I don't know. It was a little black box and it had like eight pads on it. And he had a metal rod and he was just like rubbing it and tapping it on the pads. And it looks just like the Alchemy layout that you would see in Logic or GarageBand. Interesting. I don't remember that that much. I remember he had the, the pseudo rock band drum kit. And I thought it was cool. It was like the, it was like a, a vinyl without vinyl. I don't, honestly don't even know what it was, but it was what he used to sample the vocals on it and he would slide it back and forth. Yeah. That was really cool to me. Um, one last thing that I want to say, and then I'll leave you with like a, a closing thought on this. Um, the gunshots. So I really loved that uh, John Hamm's character said, like, I'm going to take away the one thing that you you love, and he doesn't shoot the girl. He shoots right next to Baby's ears. And that was amazing to me. Honestly, not even, like, the whole implication on, like, what, you know, like, the whole mental aspect of it. Literally, it's is... It is as macro as the fact that gunshots cause deafness. Like, you will never watch another movie that, you know, as always the main character is, like, shooting everything in sight. Like, John Wick. How many bullets do you think John Wick fired in John Wick 2? And that he has literally no hearing loss whatsoever. It's like, no, that is that is factually incorrect. That yeah. does not happen. And so I thought it was for the, like... The first time that I can remember, someone shoots a gun and then there is a negative implication besides just being shot, <laughs> you know, um, and I thought that was a really cool call out. Oh, yeah. The one last thing, and I, I, meant, I alluded to this in the what you've been watching section, um, I thought this was the direct opposite of Creep. So Creep was an art film shot by two guys. Minimal cost, minimal budget, just like them kind of going at it for a, you know, a week in a cabin somewhere. Um, there's a couple different ways that you can do film music. And to me, one of the more effective ways, besides like the John Williams overly bombastic you know, theme for everything, is having perfect silence. Um, and so this movie was more towards like music was integral to the plot, whereas Creep had literally no music whatsoever. And so here's this 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 movie that you expect sounds and you got no sounds. You got dialogue, you got a little bit of background noise, and there was nothing else to underscore the mood. And you completely felt it. So music has this thing where you could either underscore what's happening or you could go counter what's happening and say like, oh, this is how you should really feel even though this is not what you're seeing on the screen. And so... Jumping back to a movie like Creep, where it doesn't have the non-verbal, non-visual cues, um, where well, excuse me, where that's only what you have is only verbal and only visual. And when those were a little bit ambiguous, because you don't have music to really say where you want to feel, you have no idea, and it leaves you with this like really empty—not empty, but like really confused state. Whereas something like Baby Driver was so scored by the music and the music was so integral, it, it's two ends of the spectrum, yeah. which I think it worked in both movies. I just like to call out that pay attention to the to whenever you don't hear music in a score, question that. 
because not every mo- like moment has to be filled with dun 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 dun. dun. You can also have moments that are completely silent except for the actors talking to themselves. Was that from Star Wars or Transformers? Uh, <laughs> no, I think that's from Zombievers. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> of course. Well, of, of course. course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. I like that you uh, mentioned the two gunshots uh, done by Buddy. Buddy, I think uh, he also has a really good um, callback sequence when he's talking to uh, Baby in the Diner about what's your go-to song when you're driving and, like, talking about when he was a driver. Uh, they both agree that Brighton Rock by Queen is, like, the go-to song if you're, like, in an intense situation where you got to get out of the, uh, get get away from the cops. And then when he's wanting, when he's uh, ready to, like, uh, just drive over Baby and Deborah, he has gotten Baby's iPod, plugged it into this truck, and he turns on Brighton Rock, and it, so he's glowing red. It kind of like creates this evil, like terrorist—not uh, terrorist, but terrorizing—feeling when he's listening to Brighton Rock versus when Baby listens to Brighton Rock. And it's mm. good to see that the same song can evoke the d- different types of uh, feeling and emotion out of both characters. Yeah. I mean, I'll just even like some of the tidbits I was just looking through. I didn't realize that uh, uh, Mike uh, Big Boy was in this movie. I completely forgot about he was in this movie. Apparently, he was in the diner as one of the uh, patrons. Yeah, Killer Mike was Kill, too. Yeah, Killer Mike was in this movie. I didn't even know about that. Yeah. I know we'd mentioned John Bernthal, but he was also in this movie for a bit. Who actually gave us a pretty good line of you know if, if you ever heard it, anything from, if you haven't seen me or heard from me at all it means I'm dead. Just this weird, sort of ominous, sort of creepy line. And the then we never heard from him. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I wonder oh, what happened there. Yeah. I, okay. Well, I mean, they're right. Uh, even on the last one, I think uh, even Flea was in this movie. I thought that was very funny because I yeah. like, kind of recognized it. I was like, oh, okay, that's fun. That's pretty cool. Um, he shows he shows up as those henchmen from time to time. Yeah. The but last time. As them. The last time I could think of was, uh, was it Back to the Future 2? Uh, he was also in the Big Lebowski as one of the novelists. <laughs> yeah, he's just like classic henchman. Why, why yeah, why, like, why not? Was, oh man, he was also Inside Out. He was a mind worker. Would you look at that? Huh. Cool. And, and he was in Sing. All right, that was weird. Um, so he's been a bunch of stuff. Uh, I think one, the last one that I'm going to mention is just like a small continuity piece that I just chuckled because it was very something very easy to do. Uh, and very easy to, to not do, but uh, Baby was listening, and we could know that in the present time, he was listening with AirPods. I think I mentioned this to you guys, that he was, he was listening to AirPods in the present time, and during the flashback, he had the older headphones on. I was like, oh, yes, I, thank you. They, they didn't need to do that at all, but they at least went that they went at least a step further to like at least think about that. I thought that was pretty cool for that. Yeah, yeah and I think uh, one strong suit of Baby's character is even though he doesn't have many lines to this movie, like you get a sense of who he is all through the music that they chose and how they scored this movie. So um, it's it's just really cool to see a different way of evoking the same type of character journey that you would through dialogue versus a musical score as yeah, well. For sure. I mean, we can talk about all these things that we love about the movie. I know 
every movie, like any movie, is not quite perfect. So I'm interested to hear some things that did, didn't quite work. Um, and then we started with you, Brian, so I'm going to continue with that. Uh, what's something that didn't quite work? What's some criticism that you have of this movie? Uh, my one big criticism of this movie would be uh, Deborah as a character. So um, Deborah, I mean, she's introduced really well that you hear her singing uh, this baby song and like it definitely grabs baby's attention and he's just like, oh, what is this? And she comes off as this um, this girl he wants to be with because she like kind of reminds him of his mother and uh, just for her beauty and uh, her voice and everything. Um, but you never really get to know much more about Deborah herself and like what are her what's her um, what are her convictions and why does she want to be with baby or what does she want to do with her life? Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems just a little bit too convenient that she just wants to agree to do everything that he says like hey let's run away at 2 a.m. in the morning she's just like okay I'll be there even when he doesn't show up and then even after that she's like I'm still gonna run away with you uh it just it may not be at this moment uh there's no like challenge to that relationship it's all just very clean and neat and um there could have been more done with that I think Right? There was absolutely no repercussions for him bailing. Like, the entire time, I was like, yo, he's either got to sneak away and get shot, or she is done with him for that. Because that was kind of a shenanigans move. He didn't even call. He didn't even shoot her text. He could have wolfed her. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that is. You young, you hip kids with wolfing and texting. Yo, wolfing is like a decade old. It's the system that, uh... Is that the same as cheesing? <laughs> no, no, it's uh, it's a uh, what's his face Ryan from the office. It's his social network that he came up with, where it like sends like a text, a, a voicemail, uh, a fax, an email. It's like literally just an all-in-one like get a hold of this person. <laughs> it's from the office. Yeah, I, I I forget what else was in it, but it was it was a good one. Yeah, I was definitely hoping a bit more from um, from Deborah. I felt like there was a couple things there um, that could have been, whether uh, give her uh, some more screen time. I don't think she had a lot of screen time without Baby. Um, and I understand like it's going to be the movie centered around him, but at least give her a bit of backstory of you know of what she want to do. What her, like he was talking about, like some of her aspirations. Like you know, if we take Baby at this movie, is she is she even a character? What more do we know besides? just slowly I'm here to please baby or on the opposite end I'm here to like be a detriment to baby because he's trying to protect her the majority of the time too so I can definitely feel that um sort of a feeling of you know it it definitely needed to be kind of flushed out a little bit more um I I do like the fact that she kind of took uh control and like was started driving kind of run away from the police and said actually it was her that she was driving it was her who played the tape who kind of, like, got Baby uh, back into, like, I woke him up out of um, that the battle that he had with Buddy at the time, at the end. So I thought that was pretty cool. A, a couple of strong moments. I was just hoping for a little bit more of that throughout the movie. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and it just, le- like, her, like, that convenience of Deborah just leads to just a very squeaky clean ending to it as well. And there's a great moment where, like, when he eventually... Uh, turns himself into the cops and he doesn't want her to get involved just because he accepts the fact like, hey, I I am kind of a bad guy. 
I'm not the best person in the world. I got to pay for what I've done. And even at his trial, like all his character witnesses are just talking about like how he's such a great dude and everything. And so he got like kind of a slap on the wrist by the judge. Like, yeah, he got 25 years, but he can get, uh, he can be up for parole in five years, which is like a very lenient, um, but also harsh, uh, conviction at the same time and so everything kind of works out in the end for them no matter what yeah. cool uh, Mike what's some things that didn't quite work what's some criticisms you have of this movie yeah I had a couple things um, let's see so I thought I mean Brylan mentioned this um, Deborah should have been more fleshed out I, I thought that, that like the characters had pretty weak chemistry together um, I think that when you put some absolute like monsters like uh, Jamie Foxx and uh, John Hamm and certainly Kevin Spacey, like you can manufacture chemistry um, between them. And I just think that didn't exist between Ansel Adams and uh, what was it L- Lily James? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm never gonna get that name right. Uh, I'm sorry, dude. You're sorry. worth more money than I will ever be. You could just rest on those laurels. Um, I thought that the biggest thing for me was the timeline was too fast. Is like they went from meeting to literally running away to spend their lives together in like what felt like two or three days. Yeah. So that just like to me didn't make sense because I, I don't know. I've never met anyone that's done that with anyone else it's always like you need a growing period of something well it's almost like uh, the uh, romeo and juliet portion of the star-crossed lovers or um when somebody when somebody meets on fate like, would you like would you just go just on fate itself um that's yeah. how this i was kind of yeah. looking at it yeah um i thought that it was a little bit derivative at times and i know that in pre-pro you have something else that you're talking about. I specifically think that I can't watch a movie that is so built around 70s and 80s pop music without thinking of Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that at this point, it's almost like you you have to take all these ideas because it was a cool idea. I, and it was one of my wins, but you almost have to shelve it for like three or four years until Guardians is a little bit removed um, so that you don't get the comparisons. Yeah. Um, and, and then the last thing is that I would have loved to seen, uh, John Bernthal's Punisher character. Not really, but that's what I'm thinking of, uh, return. <laughs> I mean, he was an awesome setup as an antagonist and I would have, I honestly would have loved to have seen more either a coming back as, as the antagonist, you know, someone maybe competing in an opposite job or, or B, I would have loved to have seen him make the switch and come back as the hero. You know, so John Hamm makes the turn, and then um, Baby can only turn to the person that has treated him awfully the entire time mm-hmm. because that person, at least he knows where he stands. You know, I would have loved to have seen that, especially John Bernthal, Sneaky, is like one of the better actors out there. Like that dude yeah. plays the absolute intense psychopath better than almost anyone I've ever seen besides yeah. like I don't know what like Jack Nicholson he plays that psychopath character pretty well um, and Spacey's also pretty good 
What's up? Kevin Spacey is a psychopath. Yeah, yeah. Spacey was good. He good as that too. Yeah. But uh, could have been an undercover cop the whole time. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> yeah, that was funny though. No, those were my cops. Um, but but yeah, the uh, I would have loved to have seen him come back just because I I really like that that particular actor. Yeah, but Nanos. <laughs> Bananas. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there, I do have also have a couple of things that didn't work. You know, I'm not going to echo or reiterate the, the things that we talk about the characters, but I, I would have liked to learn a little bit more. Um, I did at least like the fact that it felt like they didn't put a lot of time on certain characters that they wanted to learn more, but they did at least focus on, you know, that he took the time to drop Joseph off you know, and left him a message, and that was a, I, I like that they focused on, hey, I, I think they knew that there's probably time to, like, learn more about these characters, but we're going to focus on certain ones, so I thought that was a pretty cool, um, uh, sort of concept, I'm just, like, another, like, thing that I thought was interesting of it. Uh, I think my thing was, is, a lot of these movies that we're seeing nowadays are all, uh, at least a lot of them, it has something or a lot of things just to do with kind of love, and that's really, like, the basis of it. And I was really hoping that this movie wouldn't go down that path, and that's the entire path that it went down for. Of girl meets boy, they fall in love, they run off together very quick. And I think Mike was kind of talking about this, but my only kind of issue that I have with that even more of this movie is my other criticism, that it was too much, like, 2011's uh, Drive, which literally it was a beat for beat of you know drive was that that soundtrack was based of a lot of synths and like 80s kind of style stylistic movie uh music where uh the main character doesn't talk a lot and he has his he finds his girl just so happened they end up kind of having this thing and he's a getaway driver and he gets into some stuff in literally the movie, how it was like set up, obviously less gory. If you haven't seen Drive, I'm not gonna ruin that movie for you at all. But I, I, I definitely, I love that movie a lot. I just felt that yeah. it, it, it was too, just too close for the characters, and I just actually t- took a look back at Drive because I was interested. There's a character named uh, Doc. There's a character named. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think name was Irene. There's nobody in there, but all the <laughs> characters in Drive all have one name, one uh, the just for first names or just like a nickname, and that's it too. And I thought that was also very strange, very weird. Blanche, Blanche was another uh, one of the actual characters' names. Um, so I thought it was another just comparison. I was like, man, th- that movie. I liked the movie a lot, and the, but I was a little bit hesitant because do I like Baby Driver a lot because I like Drive, and that's why I see a lot of that movie in this. Or do I like it because it's kind of a standalone? Because this already has, like, Drive cannot compare to the, the sound quality and the sound design of Baby Driver. Um, so that was something I'm still, like, kind of thinking of, uh, that it was a bit too close. But, you know, if you make a movie about a getaway driver, of course I'm going to make a comparison of another getaway driver movie that I've necessarily seen. Um, I was just hoping that it wouldn't go down that sort of love story um, route that it did. But, you know, it did. That's okay. Any last lasting thoughts before we get into grades, guys? Nope. That was the big stuff for me. Cool. Yep. Well, I'm. I love this movie. I'm probably gonna go see it again. Um, hopefully, sometime soon, because I know a lot of people have been talking about wanting to go watch it. Because I think we went before we even told anybody else, sort of thing. Um, yeah, so. it's interesting how it just keeps on picking up steam and steam and conversations. Yeah. That I have at work or just around other people. Yeah. 
I mean, it's it's a fun well, movie. I listen to the soundtrack literally almost every day. Uh, I think that one of the, the the main soundtracks that I've been listening to this year has been um, Guardians and Baby Driver. So that's a those are pretty like solid sort of soundtracks to necessarily listen to. But uh, you know, let's start Warren, with some. Uh, yeah, what's up? I was gonna say you should go check out the trailer. I honestly never heard of this movie before, like three or four weeks before it came out and I remember seeing the trailer and it's weird because I showed another buddy one that was more involved on like the love story aspect of it but I just saw this quick 15 second like hilarious crazy Jamie Foxx insane car stunts and then Kevin Spacey and then it was out and I was like what was that (laughs) my god so I feel like it wasn't there wasn't a lot of commercials being pushed out to to television, but like that trailer really made me want to go see it from a movie that I'd never even heard of before. I mean, all I heard was the name of the movie, and uh, I, I I didn't know who was in the movie at all until like it got closer. And I was like, oh, I knew that it was some random guy, and then I know Jamie Foxx was in the movie, but I didn't know John Hamm, and like I definitely didn't know Kevin Spacey or John Bernthal. Uh, but I definitely will watch the trailer now. So I'll watch a couple of them just to see. But it'll be, pr- it'll be pretty cool, especially like if I think that they're going to give too much of a movie. I think it'll be difficult to give this movie away, but it's possible. It's possible. So. Grace, what do you got, Braylon? Uh I'm going to give this an A. Uh, I think this is Edgar Wright's best work so far. And uh, I think it's uh, it's just a really good movie that... Um, well, it's a great movie that has some really great characters and um, great music, and it's just fun, and it's the perfect length as well. Cool. Mike, what you got? So I gave it a B plus. Um, I'm not going to lie. This is definitely suffering from my, uh, uh, my backlash uh, against grading movies too high. Um, I thought this was a really, really fun movie. It was unique and, uh, you know, it's its own kind of special way. Um, I think that it had a couple issues going on with it. That was enough to keep it out of the A territory. Um, and also, like I said, it, it, it visually will look dated fairly quickly yeah. because they didn't CGI it up. Um, but yeah, definitely B plus. I I, um, I wanted to keep through this, and I'm gonna keep on reminding myself. But I would I would definitely pay full price to see this movie. I probably wouldn't IMAX it, but I would absolutely Saturday night go see this movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm gonna have to echo more on the Brylin's end and uh, give this guy an A. Uh, I love this movie. Uh, it, even though it was very close to kind of drive, I think that was like one of my biggest credit criticisms as well. Um, I think we even talked about this before. Now that you know, refreshing my memory a little bit of it, I think this would be a very, very fun, a very cool, even more of a background for me studying and just kind of popping up a couple of points of movies, uh, points at the time of the movie, just to kind of just soak in like what's actually happening. Uh, and I think it'd be a very fun movie just to kind of experience again. Uh, probably a couple more times too, and and if anything, it will be like Drive because I watch Drive a lot actually, uh, a good amount of times a year. So uh, that'd be pretty cool. So with that, 
I would say thanks so much, guys, for hanging out, as always. And uh, we, this is going to wrap up our review of uh, Baby Driver. Uh, Brylan, where can we find more of your work online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brylan, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. And through there, you can also find links to my Instagram, which is I am Brylan, where I'll put up, like, really quick uh, reviews of TV shows and movies I've watched recently as well. So usually things that I uh, say that I'm watching currently – You'll find a little quick review about those. Cool. Thanks. Uh, Mike, where can you find more of your work? Yeah, you can find me um, on most major platforms at Minus Music or Minus Band. Um, that's like Facebook, Instagram, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Those last two ones are good because they're actual stuff you can listen to. Uh, we are a music act, uh, so it's you know not a bad thing to listen um, you can also check us out at McGann's Pub on July 22nd. We're playing like towards the back end of the night, but it should be a good night, Saturday night. So, you know, Will come. you randomly break out a flute? Uh, I wish. You know, if any of us were good enough to cover uh, Focus, or this is Hocus Pocus, I totally would. That song shreds. You gotta, you gotta learn it now. You should play it. We, you should play it. Yeah, yeah. Good cover down. Yeah. yeah, Warren, you, I don't think you, I, I don't think you know what this song was. <laughs> I'm gonna send it to you right now. Yes, please. Uh, yeah, so I was gonna say definitely kind of um, send me that information. I'm gonna post it in the show notes for the McGann's um, show that you actually have, as well as I will be posting this uh, Hocus Pocus song in the show notes. I'll also, see if we can kind of tweet it out uh, a little bit earlier just to get people get a feel, get a little bit more traction for it. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Um, and uh, I, actually speaking of Twitter, we have a Twitter, we have a Patreon, we have a YouTube, we have a Facebook, we have a bunch of stuff that we're going to be out. If you really, really enjoy kind of listening to us as well, please, please, please subscribe. We have our YouTube channel that we put a bunch of actually video teasers out there. We talk a little bit about the movies that we're going to be talking about, but we don't really want to spoil too much. So definitely kind of check out our YouTube channel. You can find it. It's a Down in Front podcast and via YouTube, but we're actually going to put the link in our actual show notes, so kind of keep uh, keep an eye out for that. As well, uh, we do have our Patreon. So we have patreon.com, so it's down in front. Any and all sort of donations would be awesome and amazing, just because we're just covering the cost of um, this podcast. We like to do things fun as much as possible, so definitely kind of hang out for that. Uh, we have Facebook, we have an email, we have Twitter, so our Facebook is uh, facebook.com slash DIF podcast, so Facebook down in front podcast, and our Twitter is at underscore DIFP, that is at underscore down in front podcast. Thanks so much for hanging out for tonight, and uh, we will see you soon on our next review of Insert movie title here. <laughs> <laughs> Avengers: Age of Ultron. <laughs> Age of, uh, our next movie up. Insert movie title here. <laughs> Bye. See. <Peace>. Bye. <laughs>